When I went off to college, I didn't really live the life that I was supposed to live. I, I stopped following Jesus and had a major event in my life, and, and it brought me back to Christ around 2004. And there were a lot of people in my life when I was back in college that, that knew me when I lived a different way. And God put a burden on my heart to, to share Christ with those people, to share the blessing that I had received. Growing up, when I was younger, we went to church as a family, but we didn't take it really outside of church. It wasn't something we discussed at home. We didn't read the Bible at home or anything like that. And eventually that led to me in high school not going to church at all. And then once I went to college, it became more where it was about me, the things I wanted to do, but God was never a part of that. It was never something I thought about or really pursued in any way. God really burdened my heart to, to do this with Chris, to share Jesus and share the life that, that I knew God wanted for him. And so I started calling Chris to see if we could meet up, grab some coffee. Um, we did this a few times and eventually uh, I worked up the courage to, to ask him if he wanted to do a Bible study, if, you know, where he was with God and his relationship with God. I was, you know, fine with that and I was enjoyed learning about the, you know, those parts of the Bibles that we were talking about. And But it was pretty casual for me at that time and this probably was over the course of a year that we did this. Finally, we... Um, we had a Bible study that uh, that really talked about who God is and who we are, and that we're all broken and that we're all sinners, and that we need Jesus. Uh, and and after this study, really asked Chris if he um, if he were to die today, wh where would he go? Would he go to heaven or would he go to hell? And one of the things James suggested to me was, you know, why don't you just try some of these you know, Christian stations? And I remember I was listening, and one of the songs that came on was the "I Can Only Imagine" song, and this particular time when I heard that song, it really, the words really struck me. They really, uh, I really listened this time. And I just remember being overwhelmed to the point where I was in tears and I didn't understand why. And I started really thinking about why am I feeling, feeling this way? And I came to realize it was a conviction that uh, God was calling me and he's been calling me and I'm finally listening. And so I immediately call James and tell him that, that I'm ready and, and I want to be baptized. Coming out of the water, it was just a sense, for me, it was just a sense of relief. I felt like weight that had been on my shoulders was finally lifted, and it was just this sense of, of a freedom that I had never felt before. Being the father that I felt Christ was leading me to be, uh, for me, I felt like I needed to press upon my children my faith. So I started being very diligent about working with my son, Brayden who's 11 now. I remember when he was probably about 10, he started telling me, he's like, Dad, I think I'm ready to get baptized. I think I know, you know, I'm ready to make, you know, Jesus Lord of my life. And so uh, I just had the amazing privilege of being able to baptize him. And, uh, and looking back, I just felt like I never saw that phone call coming. And I definitely never could have seen that leading to me being baptized and then me baptizing my son. But I'm so very glad that it did. I want to thank all of you for being here, and I want to thank all of you that are watching online. We have a sizable online community. Uh, the Hills Church actually is one church in three locations here at North Richmond Hills at South Lake and at West Fort Worth. And if you're joining us, you know we've been in a study now for several weeks that I've titled, Who's Your One? And the basic idea behind this series is that God has divine appointments for all of us, divinely created moments where someone can share with someone about the one 
and only. And I've heard lots of awesome conversations about people who are becoming more concerned and burdened and aware of who their one is. I know even some of you online are thinking that way, and we praise God for that. Now, how many of you remember an evangelistic strategy called door knocking? Anybody here ever gone door knocking? Door knocking is where a person or two walks up to a stranger's house, cold call, they open the door, and you immediately ask personal questions about their spiritual lives. My father took me door knocking when I was a young boy, probably because I had misbehaved or something. And (laughs) then later in life, I did some door knocking in college. And although I never personally experienced much fruit, I do appreciate a story I heard about these two people who go door knocking. And as you might expect, this woman on the other side of the screen door, as these strangers start asking very personal questions, gets pretty irate. And she takes that screen door and she slams it as hard as she can. And it miraculously pops back open. So she slams it again and it almost supernaturally comes back to her. And before she can try one more time, one of the fellows says, man, before you do that, you really ought to move your cat. (laughs) And that might be the only cat I've ever heard of that has a chance to go to heaven. Because at least that cat was trying to keep the door open. Because if you are going to be open to divine moments where the Lord gives you an assignment to speak, you got to expect sometimes the door is going to be opened And sometimes the door is going to be shut. But the important thing is that you have gone to their door. Instead of passively waiting for them to come to yours. Because nowhere did Jesus ever command the world to go to church. He commanded his church to go to the world. And I do mean he meant the world. Because Jesus wants to save one and all. We saw that two weeks ago when God divinely worked to bring a meeting between one eunuch from Ethiopia and one disciple named Philip. And we saw it last week when Jesus divinely worked a meeting between one struggling seeker named Saul and one witness named Ananias. That was Acts 8, that was Acts 9, and now in Acts 10, we're going to see one more story where someone is going to introduce someone to the one and only. The name is Cornelius. We're going to start in chapter 10, verse 1 in the book of Acts. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, 
Almost everything I'm going to say this morning is simply a review of what we've already been saying. This man Cornelius was a centurion. There's five or six centurions mentioned in the New Testament. And every time they're mentioned, they're described favorably. I'm often asked, can a Christian serve in the military? Well, at least these men are always described positively and they're never asked to leave their service to follow Christ. He's a very good man, but let's remember something I've said over and over. No one is saved by goodness. Now, Cornelius has a lot going for him. He is an honorable man. He is a pillar in the community. He has high moral standards. He has a devout prayer life. He is generous to needy people. He is attracted to monotheism. In other words, he grew up in a culture where there were lots of gods to worship, and that never ring true to him. And so he's intrigued by this God Yahweh of these people called the Jews. I mean, this guy has a lot going for him. But think about it. So did that Ethiopian eunuch. So did Saul. They were all good, moral, religious men. But for all they had, they didn't have what they needed most. An answer for their sin problem. And we're going to explore something now that I really need you to think about. Because many people have a problem with the thought that God would send good people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. Their sins send them there. Because no one lives up to the light that they have. You have done things to other people that you did not want them to do to you. You have not done things for people that you would want someone to do for you if you were in that situation. No one lives up to the light that they have. And so... We call ourselves good because we compare ourselves to other people. But because we don't live up to the light that we have, our goodness does not meet the standards of the holiness of God. Now, this is why all of us need a Savior. If being good was good enough, there never would have been a cross. So, I don't care how good your one is. If he doesn't have Jesus, he needs a Savior. You have never met any one who does not need to hear and embrace the good news of the gospel. Because we all have a sin problem. Now, I want to share with you a quick story of a remarkable young man who gets that. His name is Kalen Carter. Kalen and his family started coming to our church a few months ago. They came to summer, spectacular. They kept coming. Kalen goes to Richmond High School. He knew there was some stuff in his life that wasn't right. He saw people getting baptized. He realized, that's what I need to do. I need to give my life to God. I need to get baptized. And so he was. And then he heard Pastor Rick talking about 
finding one person to share God with. So he texted his friend at school and said, my pastor says, I need to find a one. Do you want to be my one? And his friend said, yes. And so Caleb was kind enough to share with me a text. This is one of the very first texts he sends to his friend. And notice where he starts. Today, what I'm going to be telling you about is sin. Okay? Sin. Everybody sins. But it matters if you pray and ask God for forgiveness, which is called repenting. It says in the Bible, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's Romans 6.23 in your Bible. And what that means is that your sin is death, so when you're baptized, you're clean, your sins get buried. Now, basically, you're not going to be perfect, only God is perfect, but try to reduce sin and repent when you do mess up. God saves the worst of sinners, so don't ever think your sin is too big to be forgiven. (laughs) Clearly, this kid wants my job. And how cool is it? He's been walking with the Lord a few weeks. He already knows I need to find a one. And I need to tell him, you got a sin problem too. And Jesus is the answer. Because one came to save all. See, and that's the next point. Every one is the mission. You know, Peter gives me some hope. Because the honest truth is, I preach better than I live. All preachers do. Very first gospel sermon in Acts 2, he said, I want you to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for all who are far off. And far off was code for the Gentile world. He remembered Jesus saying, I have other sheep that are not yet in my pasture, but they will be. That what I'm doing And reconciling the world to God is bigger than just one ethnicity. It's bigger than just one race. And he knew that and he preached that. But he wasn't living that. So God decided to help him get there. So Cornelius sends three men to find Peter. It says in verse 9, that about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Okay, let me stop. Two words never belong together. No, Lord. That is the ultimate oxymoron. Last week, when Ananias heard his voice, he said what every disciple should say when you have an experience with God. Yes, Lord. Peter has an experience, and he says, no, Lord. Those two words don't go together. And so God gave his servant a proper rebuke. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. 
So once again, we see God at work on both ends of conversion. We saw God at work on the eunuch's end and on Philip's end. We saw God at work on Saul's end and on Ananias' end. Now we see God, he's at work on Cornelius' end, but he's also at work on Peter's end. Because God wants his witness to know the Father's heart beats for the whole world. Christianity is a whosoever will religion. And sadly, maybe nothing has derailed the mission of God more than the fact that too many Christians still have too much junk on their sheets. I don't hang out with those kind of people. Why are his jeans so tight? Why are his jeans so baggy? What's he got that all over his face for? Why don't those people learn how to speak English? I told you, I grew up in a church that had an official elder-approved policy. That if people who had a skin color that wasn't mine visited our church... They were not to be contacted and asked to come visit again. And I learned a terrible truth. People from church keep people from church. That one of the biggest factors keeping people from church is their experience with people. From church. It took Peter three times to get the message. How many times is God going to have to tell us? And so properly rebuked, he shows up at Cornelius' house. And one of the first things he says in verse 28, you're well aware it's against our law. For a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So he starts to preach. And God got tired of his preaching. So God interrupted his sermon and just sent the Holy Spirit and baptized the whole place. Because God was eager to get the nations saved. And they think he still is. Jesus meant it when he said, I'm sending you to the whole world. And in fact, I think he means it so much. It's one of the reasons that he's bringing the whole world to us. So this past week, I told you I would pray over every card that was turned in. Over the three campuses, we had over 2,100 cards. And I don't know why, but God just impressed it upon me. I should say every name out loud. So I did. And some of the names were hard to say. We had Asian names. We had African names. We had Middle Eastern names. We had Hispanic names. And I did my best, and I know God knew who I meant. In the past few months, we've had people baptized from Africa, from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from Mexico. God is bringing... God is bringing the nations... To your neighborhood. Christ is one language. And he wants you to be 
fluent in it. And so, let's notice what Peter said. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that every one who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Did you notice that all three of these stories are just flooded with the supernatural? There are visions. There are angels. The Holy Spirit is speaking out loud. And yet not one time does an angel preach the gospel. Not one time in a vision is someone told how to be saved. In every single story, someone had to tell someone about the one and only. Because it takes one to reach one. One of my favorite athletes is Tim Tebow, not because he's a great athlete. I don't know if he's going to make it as an NFL quarterback or not. But because he uses that platform to witness. And so last weekend he got to play for his new team, the Patriots. He didn't play particularly well. He was surrounded by a lot of reporters afterwards in the locker room. And one of the cameramen had a glitch and shouted out, Jesus Christ. Now, side note. God's name is not an exclamation point. If you want to curse, use your own name. He shouts out, Jesus Christ. And everyone suddenly looks at Tim Tebow. How's he going to react? He's going to be angry? Is he going to say something? Tim Tebow looks up right at him and says, he loves you. And he took a moment to tell one about the one and only. As followers of Jesus, we've been invited to the front lines of the greatest cause in history. And Jesus has promised to empower us as followers, every one of us, to be witnesses. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you do this. Now, what that means is, in your spiritual DNA is the capacity to reproduce. There are no infertile Christians in the house. You all have the capacity to reproduce. You say, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know what you need more? You need to surrender to the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
who will empower, equip people full of the Holy Spirit, people with the Spirit of Jesus. They see a world full of people that need Jesus. And they tell what they've seen and heard. And my prayer is that you are looking for one and all. And so, who's your one? Because here's the deal. I've said nothing you disagree with. That's not the point. The point is not, is what I have said true? The point is, what are we going to do about what we know is true? Are we going to step into truth? Or simply sit back and nod our heads and say, yeah, I agree with that. And so I'm asking you today to make a couple of commitments with me. The first is that we would renew our resolve that the Lord has a harvest. And here's the reality. A lot of Christians in a lot of churches, they love the status quo more than they love lost people. That's the charred truth. We love how it is more than we love what could be. And so I'm going to ask you this week to pray a dangerous prayer. Here it is. Lord, would you show me what's still on my sheet? Now that's a dangerous prayer. Because the Lord might show you you've got some biases you don't even know you have that you need to deal with. The Lord might show you that you love some religious traditions more than you love the mission of God. And you need to know that. The Lord might show you there's some sin in your life that is contradicting your witness. So pray that prayer. Lord, what's still on my sheep? And maybe, maybe what we'll see is that the biggest hindrance to my love for the lost is my lack of love for God. Because when I really love God, I want to give Him His heart's desire. Do you remember that time Jesus had a one-on-one encounter in Samaria? He's at a well, and this person comes up. She's the wrong race. She's the wrong gender. She's the wrong lifestyle. But she's the right one. Now, his disciples weren't there because he had sent them into town because he was hungry. So they went to get sandwiches. And they come back, and he's sharing with this lady the living water. And they bring the sandwiches back and they say, here our Lord, let's eat. I'm not hungry. What do you mean he's not hungry? Did someone give him something to eat? And Jesus said, you don't get it, fellas. Look what he said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Here's what he's saying, guys. You know what fills me? What fills me 
is when I have a chance to help someone who was thirsty for God get closer to Him. That's what fills me. And fellas, you can join me in this. You don't have to wait. I'm telling you, God is out there. The harvest is ready. If you are hungry for God, then come join me in the work that gives Him the most joy. And so, every day for us is a mission trip. You young people that went to Oklahoma or New Mexico or New York last summer, that wasn't your mission trip. That was your practice. You're going back to school. That's your mission trip. Tomorrow when you go to the office, that's your mission trip. When you take a walk tomorrow night in your neighborhood, that's your mission trip. Every day is your mission trip. And we want to help you. That's why we gave you the CD to listen to. That's why we're doing Share the Life, asking small groups to bless their unchurched friends. That's why we have resources in our bookstore that we want to share with you to help equip you to have good conversations. Uh, David Meyer is going to do a class in apologetics here in a few weeks and then at the other campuses. It's why every week we promise in this service the gospel will get announced at some point. And one of the best things you can do for your one is just say, come with me. And the spirit of Christ that fills the people of Christ is a convicting thing. But remember most of all, it doesn't take a lot of training or education to be a witness. When you get called into court and you're a witness, all you have to do is say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. Who were you without Christ? How did you meet Christ? What difference has Christ made? Every one of you can tell someone that much. Jesus said in Luke 10 2, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. To send out workers into his harvest field. And so, last week, I prayed out loud for over 2,000 names. I prayed that your one would recognize they have a sin problem. I prayed that they would be open to a conversation. That they would be led to the cross. But I didn't just pray for them. I did what Jesus said. I prayed for you. I prayed the Lord would send you into the harvest. I prayed for your courage. I prayed for your boldness. I prayed for increased trust in the Holy Spirit that would take you to their door. I believe the Lord will have a harvest because this harvest has a Lord. I believe all can be reached because the all in all is on the throne. And so I want you to renew your belief. The harvest has a Lord. He's working on both ends. In ways seen and unseen, He has already been in the field.
And this should fill us with joy and with expectancy. And it should motivate us to keep our eyes open for divine appointments. And what I love is that our young people are getting it. So, watch this quick testimony of Lauren and Sloan. Church, this is Lauren. Most of y'all know her that are standing near here. Um, an incredible time getting to know her over the last few weeks. But at camp, I remember we sat and visited about walking with Christ and what that means. And you've been thinking about this a long time. And it's great that Sloan's here because Sloan's been a great guide and friend to you. And she has a few things to share with you at this moment, too. Sloan, come on over. Hi. Okay, um, I'm going to go where the fancy microphone is. There you go. Okay. Lauren, I look at you here and the choice you're about to make, and my heart just absolutely swells with joy. Dave talks a lot in class about divine appointments. He talks about people who are brought together by the Spirit because through them meeting, something holy was going to happen. And there is no doubt in my mind that you are my divine appointment. I've seen you grow and change and fall more and more in love with Christ as the years gone by. And it's beautiful. Your love for him and the love that you radiate to others because of him is absolutely beautiful. I never want you to forget this day. The day you claimed in front of all your family and friends who your number one is. Saying that your life support is in Jesus Christ and that through him you can do all things. Know that you will never walk alone. Everyone in this room is here for you and will always be here to disciple you and look out for you, just as I'll know you'll do for us. But even bigger than us is the fact that you'll never have to walk alone because Christ is by your side and will always be by your side. The God of everything, the God of angel armies is always by your side. How amazing is that? I want to give you this Bible verse. It was passed on to me the day I was baptized almost two years ago, and I still look to it for strength. So I want to pass it to you. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's saying to be separate from this world. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you should think differently. You should let him transform you and try your best to live like him in everyday life. I know you want that, and... I know through Christ you will work hard to live this way. I'm so proud of you, and I love you. That's good gospel preaching right there, Lauren. <laughs> so here's your family, those who've named the Lord. Do we commit to Lauren? Yes. Will you commit to us? Yes. Awesome. I'm going to ask you to make this confession that you make now and for the rest of your life that's going to impact your life. Who is Jesus Christ to you, Lord? My Savior. Because of that confession, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so your sins can be washed away and the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you and help direct your steps. I'm not going to tell you it can't be intimidating. I'm not going to tell you the life of a witness never has a few closed doors. What I will tell you is that there's no greater joy than to step into the work of God, to feel His presence, 
to know you are a part of the eternal and even the supernatural as you partner with Christ to give your Father what His heart most desires. And I believe we are about to enter a season of great harvest. And we'll praise God for one and all. And I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're on our response team, would you take your place? I'm going to pray over you, and then after I pray, we're going to worship, and this is a time for you to respond. You know, as I admit, it's possible today you're carrying a burden that had nothing to do with this teaching, but we honor that burden, and we want to minister to it. Let us come and pray and counsel you this morning. Or maybe you're filling the pool of God to be a bolder witness, and you need someone just to encourage you. Well, come, let us do that. And maybe you're ready to name the name, to admit that you have a sin problem, that being good is not good enough, and your Savior is waiting for you to call on His name. And so, Father, move in our hearts. Call out those this morning that you are imploring to respond for prayer, for encouragement, for increased boldness, for salvation. Do God your mighty work in this place. May your spirit and your presence be strong. May we have the courage this morning to not just assent to truth, but to step into it. And live the gospel for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please come.